0: I just yeah I just have I come with a heavy expectation this morning and I want to if if I can can I encourage you to wherever your expectation is of what God can do can you put it up to here because he can do abundantly more than ever we could ask or think I love the expression that David Ardell uses is that what does he say God will always write more checks than we can cash but I I don't know if we believe it sometimes and I think my my heart this morning is just can we um, Can we raise our level of expectation and not just in a church service, but raise our level of expectation of what can happen on a Monday morning of what can happen at night of what can happen in those different places? Amen. So we we as an eldership team and in a couple of others, we just got back from manifest presence and uh, we had such a good time. And I, I, I don't even think the speaking was the highlight for me. You know, the conferences and the worship. I think the highlight for me was spending time with our family that was up there. We had almost all of the elders, and we, we had Jeanette in Spirit, um, and she drove us to the airport very early in the morning, so she gets, she gets some credit in there somewhere, um, but Bruce graciously let me sleep on the floor, and he took the bed, so, um, you know, but it, it was a really, really, really good time, and I mean, not, not necessarily just the, the conference was wonderful. The speakers were great, but I think there's nothing more important and valuable than family, amen and there was such a i had such a sense of that and the, and the, um, Kathy um she opened up the, the little place that they rented to us so we crashed there a whole lot and ate her apples and ate all sorts of things but it was just a really good time and um the the, the mullers are still up in Auckland right now but i mean we we come back with a heart full of expectation but also heart full of family and I just want to encourage you that there's nothing more important than just, you know how we just stopped and stayed in the presence of God. There's nothing more important than just stopping and staying in the presence of the people that were around. Amen. So I just want to encourage you in that. Um, so and, and I, I was going to give you some of my takeaways, but um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of move along quicker but I was really encouraged to hear that one of the main speakers um, was not as firm with his daughter about sleeping in their bed past 2 a.m. So I was really encouraged by that. And uh, I, I've, I had a lot of guilt and shame, you know, like laid off for us, not holding. He, it was so funny because he's like, everybody told me I just need a breaker. Um, and just let her cry it out, you know. And he he went home and he told his wife, apparently we have to break our child. Um, and so – let's, let's go about and try and do that. And as soon as, you know, 10 minutes into it, when the baby's crying, dad, dad, you know, he melted to the ground and he went and another year later, she was still in the bed. But, um, I get kicked out of my bed regularly by my children. So that's, that's why I was really encouraged by that. But one thought that I had that was so powerful that I just want to encourage you has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning was a thought that permeated for me. That was, was so powerful. Um, He was talking about intercession and prayer, and we're going to be talking about prayer through the month of um, September or a lot of the month of September. And and I think that's going to be really powerful. But one of the things uh, one of the guys was saying is sometimes we feel like we might be in a dark place or sometimes we feel like we might be in a place where there's just a whole lot of death or there's just something going on that. That it's just it's hard. It's it's difficult. It's difficult to see. Why have you placed me here? God, I would much rather be over there. I'd much rather be somewhere else. But just it's so dark. It's so whatever it might be. And I think that can represent a lot of different things for us. But one of the things that he said, he used a story from the Old Testament. I don't want to go into it. But the whole point was there was death coming and he was called to go and hold the incense representing prayer. And he and he was called to go into the darkest place. And as he held up the incense, as he held up, which is prayer and going before and placing us in this dark place, it stopped this death that was spreading through the camp. And there was not one other person that was affected by death when the, the servant of the Lord, I believe it was Elisha, went into the middle. And can I tell you that that is what our role as believers in this world is, is to go to the darkest places that we find ourselves, and to hold up the light of Jesus and to say that no more will death go beyond us. No more will death penetrate further in. No more will the darkness keep going. But that we are the light, that we are the intercessors that stand in the gap to say death won't go any further. That, that encouraged me so much. So, uh, yeah, I just want to leave that with you and we'll go into prayer, but it was a powerful, powerful thought. But I was really grateful to get home and it was tiring because, again, Bruce made me sleep on the floor. So I didn't get a lot of sleep, but that's okay. Um, I'm just kidding. I, I I even, I even stayed, I stayed at a friend's house, um, at the very last night that I don't get to see very often. And, um, they, they they have a, a restroom that is kind of in, um, by the area where I was staying. And so the family's doing renovations. So there was about 10 people using one kind of facility and my bed just happened to be a little bit too close. So like we didn't go to sleep for quite a long time because I was catching up with friends. But at at 2 a.m. I was woken up by one person, you know, going to the restroom. And then at 3 a.m. I was woken up by another person with the keys and the door. And so I I am just really grateful to be home in a bed. So um, you have no idea. Your faces are more beautiful today than they've ever been. Um, but I I was really grateful to be home. And, and, you know, when I come home, we don't go to party, you know, we've got to go to errands. I got the pleasure of going grocery shopping yesterday. And I was thinking about when I go grocery shopping, do you all get into a routine when you go grocery shopping? Do you know where the things are that you need? And, um, and I was just, I was kind of thinking about the routine of how, when we go grocery shopping and I, I'm usually the one that goes often and I'll take Archer. And he's my little road dog, you know. So we, we go and I told you last week, he gets amped when we do anything. So he was, he gets amped about going to the grocery store. So we went to the grocery store again yesterday. And, um, and I was just thinking about kind of like our routine of how we go through it and what we do and why we do it. And, um, it's, it, I'm like negotiating him from the very start, you know. And, and he knows where his checkpoints are, where he can get things from me. And so he knows the routine better than I do. So we come in, and I'm like, Daddy will get you, you know, a chocolate fish if we can get past the vegetables, you know. And so you come and pack and save, and you go past the vegetables, and then right away you have the candy section. And sometimes if I forget, he will remind me, you know. So, you know, and and so he'll he'll have a chocolate fish. And I know it so well that I know exactly how many chocolate fish I can get that the meter will read, you know, because I don't want to buy them very many. But, uh, you know, it's just we've got a routine down like Pat. And so then the the next stop is the ham section, you know. So if we pass the meat section and we don't get some ham for him, we are going back and we're getting some ham, you know. Um, and then, you know, we go through, and a part of our routine is anything that we forgot, we do zigzags back through, at pack and save. So, like, at the very end, um, we just go all over the place. And when we finally come to the register, we probably have about six bags opened that we've been snacking on. Um, and, you know, I have to hold them all very carefully, otherwise all the food is going to fall out. and You know, everything's going to change. And there's usually a lot of musical accompaniment when we go grocery shopping as well. So, I mean, while he's in between snacks, I'm singing a lot of Veggie Tales songs. And uh, really loudly, because I just don't care what anybody else thinks, because if he has a meltdown, then it's not a good day for me, right? And Archer's not that bad. It's just, yeah. But I was also thinking of the difference of what it is. Can you just think about what is your routine when you go to a grocery store and kind of like what you do or where you go or, um, you know, the way that you get things and, and the things that you buy and, you know, the people that you talk to? Because the experience was really different for me when I went with my Nana recently. She didn't enjoy me singing VeggieTale songs to her. She didn't want me to open up the ham and she didn't let me snack on the cookies. And we kind of like went through and and she didn't do the zigzag thing at the end, you know, because she knew where everything everything was. I think she's gone. She's been shopping at that particular one since before it was built. You know, she she knew it really, really well. But my point is this, is that your audience really determines the way and the how of how you do something. It doesn't necessarily matter what you're doing. But who your audience is drastically changes, drastically makes whatever that task is very, very different than than what it was. When I go grocery shopping with Archer, our experience, I would say, is very, very different than my experience when I go with my Nana. And so this morning, the topic that we have is do we have a slide by any chance? Luke is working furiously. The topic of this morning's sermon is audience of one audience of one. Your audience drastically affects the way and the how of how you do things. Depending upon who you're in front of is going to determine the way that you do things. And so I I don't think it's bad the way that we do it for for Archer, and I don't think it's bad the way that we do it for my Nana, but I still think the principle applies. Um, I used to, uh, I've taught quite a bit in different places, and so I taught middle school for a little while. And I was a substitute teacher, but I was kind of a permanent relief teacher. But the way that I engaged with the middle schoolers was really, really different than the way that I would engage with adults when I was teaching insurance. There was a lot more violence involved with the middle schoolers. You know, we had to throw things at people to get them engaged. And I shouted a lot, just, you know, or just yell and they'd all wake up, you know. But the whole, the point applies is that your audience really determines the way and the how of how you do things. And, um. I wanted to share with you where I, where I heard the concept of audience of one recently. So I'm, you might've heard that phrase audience of one. You might've, you might've seen it somewhere, but I recently saw it. Um, so, so can I just get a show of hands, my basketball fans out there? I know we're few and far between. I've got two up the front and one, Justin, we're starting a basketball CFUH league. Justin informed me, so we're going to be upper hut champions, everybody. Um, but I, I love basketball. I love basketball. I love the NBA. And there's a basketball player that um, I follow on on social media, Facebook, on Instagram. And his name is Jeremy Lin. So Yodi's giving me some props. Jeremy Lin. It's okay if you don't know him. But Jeremy Lin, he played for the New York Knicks at the time. He plays for a different team now. Um, but Jeremy Lin came to fame really quickly. And I think it was about 2012. So Jeremy Lin, um, I'll just give you a story very, very briefly. He was an unknown. He was playing in like the D League of the NBA. They would only bring him out of the D League if like six people got sick kind of thing. Like he was like the sixth man on a four-man roster, if you will, you know, like that for his position. He wasn't playing very well. He didn't get a scholarship to college to go play basketball. He was just, um, it, it was kind of an unknown. Nobody even knew his name. And then one, one day in 2012, so many people got sick. They called him out. I mean, he barely made it to the game, actually, just because, like, he had to travel because he was playing for the D League, which is kind of like the B team. It's not even really the NBA. They say, maybe you can play in the NBA one day. And he got a call, and he played. I, I don't remember the team that he played. But the team, it, he was playing for the New York Knicks, and they'd been losing a bunch of games. And then he comes on. And all there's Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, all people you might not know, but they're amazing players. They were out. They were out. And then Jeremy Lin comes on and he plays and he scores just a ton of points. He's making steals and he actually leads the team to a victory. He's the highest scorer in the game. And so it was like this unknown overnight. He became famous even just for this one game, but it didn't stop at the one game. It actually went on into um, the next five games he kept playing. So the first six games that he started for, he scored more points than any player had ever done in the history of what is now known as the NBA. So we have an unknown who comes, it's kind of like the, the, you know, you kind of wish that would happen. You know, it's that story that I think most basketball players would wish or any sport play, people would wish would happen. But he came from being an unknown to com- coming completely into this place. But and, and there was even a term given to it. So Some of the other NBA players lovingly referred to it and it swept as this phenomenon. They called it Lynn Sanity. His name is Jeremy Lynn. Lynn Sanity. Because it was so insane what he was doing. Um, People were buying the jerseys and he just became a phenom overnight and he's still playing in the NBA and he was playing against some of the best in the world. He was playing against Kobe Bryant. He outscored Kobe. You know, he was just, it was phenomenal. Now, why I wanted to share that with you is because Jeremy Lin is the one that keeps posting on his social media, hashtag audience of one. If you don't know what hashtag is, don't worry. Hashtag audience of one. It's a social media, you know, um, engagement thing. And, and he's, a, he's an avid Christian. He's been, very, he's been very out front about his faith throughout his entire career. And it didn't shift when he was, you know, pushed into, this, into the spotlight. But this is what he said, and I loved it. He's, and people were asking him, Jeremy, how do you look so cool, calm and collected when you're you've, you've been a nobody and you put onto the stage with some of the greatest and you're just killing them out there? Like, why are you so calm? Why are you so just able to do this so effortless, effortlessly, effortlessly? And, and Jeremy said this to them. He said. I've surrendered that to God. I'm not in a battle with what everybody else thinks anymore. He said, I've surrendered that to God. I'm not in a battle with what everybody else thinks anymore. And I thought those two things were so crucial. Surrender. He said, I've surrendered to God. And then freedom from the opinion of others. It's a powerful combination of two things. Surrender and freedom from the opinion of others. And a question that I would pose to us out there is what would our lives look like if we were free from the opinions of others? And and I know there's people in here that are, that are rocking their, their their God-given calling. They're, they're being them. You know, I have this saying that I love to say, you do you. And I've stolen that from someone else, so it's not even mine. But you do you. You be who God called you to be, and you do it unapologetically. But I, I wonder how pervasive is this in our society of how we think others perceive us and the way that we are different based on the situations. Depending upon who we go to the grocery store with, it's actually a lot different what it looks like. Depending upon who we're with, all of a sudden we look like possibly a different person with the way that we're engaging. And sometimes I wonder, it's maybe not even the opinion of others, but what about the opinion of ourselves That might shift, that might push us in a different way or a different um, direction. But this morning, what if we could allow God... To be our audience of one. To allow God to be the audience of one. We have to let the barriers down. And say that we only are living to please him. Amen. I'm going to tell you a story very, very briefly. But Angie, um, when Angie graduated from university, there was... Um, It was a really nice crowd. Everything was really nice. It was a large, large audience. We were all in the auditorium as a huge, you know, huge auditorium filled with people. Everybody's, yay, they're graduating. Everybody's a little bit bored because, you know, those things go for a long time. and But people were still pretty happy and still pretty, yeah, we're, we're celebrating a great achievement. and And everything went really normal until the key speaker started talking about a political issue in the middle of the graduation. And it turned an atmosphere that was was pretty happy and was pretty, you know, encouraging, was like, hey, let's go get them into what I would consider the closest place that I've ever been to a riot. Um, It was, I don't know when this was, it was been, you know, in the 2000s somewhere, 2008 or 2007, and they were talking about a political issue at the time, and I had people behind me that were standing up, that were shouting quite violently about, you know, certain things in regards to this issue. What an audience that was pretty happy one second before turned into an audience that was riotous in the next moment. And the whole point is this, is if you're pleasing man, the audience of man is very fickle and will go with the wind and will change very, very quickly. Galatians 1 verse 10 says this. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I would not be a servant of Christ. And I think so many times it's so easier to, easy to feel the pressure of man, and I don't even think it's intended unkindly. But I just think about who are the folks that influence what you do and why you do it? Is it your spouse next to you? Is it the people around you? Is it strangers? Is it just the general thought? Because we, we sometimes care what folks think about us and why they think those things about us. And, I mean, I, just to illustrate this point. So when I was a teenager, uh, we, lived in, we grew up in the Wairapa. And, um, and my mom, God bless her soul, raised three children um, by herself from the point when I was about ten. And, um, I think I must've been about 13 or 14 and I started getting into the habit of when we would go into the Masterton, which is a bustling city of just, you know, amazing things. Um, and, uh, and so we started, um, we, we would be walking to the bank or something and then I would speed up just a little bit and then I'd speed up just a little bit more, just a little bit until I was probably about 10 feet in front of them. And whenever they would try and catch up to me, you know, I'd, I'd kind of have this radar. So I'd, I'd manage to walk a little bit faster than them. But I kind of got into this habit of trying to walk away from my family. And I was thinking, and I, when I think back on it, you know, I think, what in the world was I doing? First of all, it didn't help my cool points because I wasn't cool to start with, you know. So it, me moving away from my family wasn't going to help. But then I started thinking about it a little bit more recently. And I don't know if you've done that in the past or when you're a kid. Or you, I mean, we all do interesting things. But, but here's the premise that I'm going for. I think oftentimes we can walk away from God or walk in front of God because of the, the way that we think we're being perceived. It's And I thought about this. There was no one in the world that has sacrificed more for me than my mom. There was no one that has done more for me than my mom. There's no one that deserved better for me to stay with and to be with and to honor and to respect than my mom. And then I thought about it. Who was I trying to walk away from my mom for? And I was like, not even anybody that I knew it would be acquaintances that I might I might have seen somebody, you know, that I kind of knew over there. And I was like, oh, I don't want them to think that I'm not cool. I'm like chilling it in town by myself, you know, which which isn't even cool anyways. But here's the premise. I would submit to you that we all do this in some form or another, that when we're at the grocery store, we act a certain way because of the audience that we have that wouldn't be the way that we would walk if we had this audience of one concept down in our hearts. It would be different even the way that we even the way that we interact with our spouse and all those things it affects drastically if we understand that we have an audience of one. That there is only one person that we want to try and please. There's only one person that we want to engage with. Proverbs twenty nine, twenty five says it this way the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Literally, you putting your fear or your your the way that you do things, and maybe it's even here in worship in the morning. Maybe you would worship passionately at home, but because there's people that you know, you're like, thank you, Jesus. You're amazing, God. And at home, you're just a wild person yelling around and shouting and screaming. Culture and the way that people perceive us affects so much. And I think it's time that we stopped walking in front of the Father. That we recognize we have an audience of one that we can passionately engage with. Amen. And I love where it says, you know, I, I think the reason we do these things, I mean, humans are we're funny beings. But there's a perception that we're going to be safe if we if we do this. We're going to be safe from the rejection of other people. We're going to be safe from the opinions of other people, if we're like, oh, God, don't do that now. Don't I don't want to, you know, like, yeah, God, I don't want to pray for that person now. They're, you know, oh, they won't they won't like that, whatever it is. But what does it say in Proverbs? It says, but fear of the Lord is safe. That's the safe place. And then I actually what I wanted to do is flip the phrase audience of one. And that once we realize that the only person we're actually looking at is to please him, it actually, we realize that we become the audience of one that we're not the center of the universe. He is. And so when we become an audience of one, it shifts it even to a whole new level. And what I mean is this, you know, when Jesus says, what does he say? He's, he says a lot of things. You're like, he says a lot of things. He says, I, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what I see the Father doing, meaning that if if we think that Jesus is the only one that we're trying to please, we still haven't gone far enough. We need to go to the place where we become a captive audience of one, where we're in any situation, we're always looking to say, God, what are you saying in this? It's not... We don't come to church on a Sunday morning or go to home group on a Tuesday night to say, okay, I'm putting all the other distractions to the wayside. This is my time, Jesus, where I'm going to press in. I'm going to give all my attention to you, God, right now. Like everything's going away. Man, I wish that kid would stop crying during worship. I'm trying to engage. Can Jesus, can you take care of that for me just real quick? Thank you. Um, this is my time with you, Lord. And what I would love to suggest is that we need to become a captive audience of one 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I think it's a shift in perspective of, A, we're only looking to please one person. I'm not going to walk ahead of the father. But not only that, I want to know what is my father saying and what is my father doing? And I'm telling you, this will revolutionize the way that we interact with people. Because now, no longer are you only not worried about their opinion, and you're free from their opinion. But then I think some Christians have gone that far, and then we just get really weird with people. And, you know, it's just like, well, Jesus, I'm going to pray in tongues over this person right now, rather, whether they know it or not. And if God's calling you to do that, I don't want to stop you. But here's my point, that if we start listening, Father, what are you saying right now? I want to walk in. My, my, my flesh wants me to walk in front of my family because I think that's cool, and it's that's not cool. But what are you saying right now? Do you want me to give my mom a big hug to show what family looks like? What is the father saying? I only do what I see the father doing. I think that's a powerful premise. And I understand we're all probably in this kind of zone. But how easy is it do we get influenced by the opinion of others, even in the body of Christ? How easily how much more so if we're out in the marketplace or you're out at home or you're out doing your thing, do we get influenced by the opinion of others? We need to be a captive audience of one. That's right. We um, well, actually I won't tell that story. <laughs> and, yeah, we had some fun up in Manifest Presence. Um, Andy was up there. For the, and I just want to read this and we're going to just transition and I'll promise I'll land this thing. I had a lot more, but just for the sake of time. John twelve forty three says this, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I personally believe that it would revolutionize a whole lot of places if we only started worrying about the glory of God rather than the kudos and the acceptance that comes from man. The last, the last little, um, actually, let me see, how much time do I have? Not very much. The last little point that I'm going to go into is this, is that once we understand the concept of an audience of one, And it's two facets. What's the first facet? Jesus, I only want to please you. In fact, I I just don't want to please you. I want to do everything that you're doing. Tell me what's going on in the situation. Tell me where can I speak into a situation here rather than being influenced by the people right here. What are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to say? What are you calling me to speak? Regardless if it's reject. Remember, we talked about last week. What what so influenced so many people? um, David's brother immediately criticized him. But he didn't worry. He turned and talked to somebody else. So this morning, the last little flip I want to do for an audience of one, as soon as we catch this principle of an audience of one, then it completely revolutionizes the way that we interact when we have an audience of one. And what I mean is this. If you have one person that's talking to you, if you have one or you have a small group, that is talking to you, then you value them to the point that you still give them 100%. And so what do I mean when I say this? Well, I've heard comments like this. Actually, there's only two people that showed up to home group, so it was a wash. So I decided we're just going to go home. Or actually, you know, as for CFUH, what, do I, what, what could be said? Well, there's only 120 of us. So like, that's not like the good old days where there was 6,000 people. You know, that's what it seems like sometimes. I, I, mean Angie and I were talking about this. If there was only one person, it was Angie. I would still hopefully bring the same amount of passion, the same amount of preparation, the same amount of exuberance, even if there was only one person in front of me. And the, here's a concept that I really want to give to you is that you can absolutely change the world. And let me let me be really specific, because I know that we get really excited about that. Sometimes we're like, we're going to go change the world. Watch the whole world's going to be different. But we put our good intentions out to, like, they go out and they flutter away, you know, just like, you know. But But here's the thing. You can absolutely change the world of somebody else. You can change the world of somebody else. And I think we've, at times in the Christian world, been ch- too busy about trying to change the world over here. And we actually end up changing no one. But if you actually understood the power of an audience of one... I think we would actually start to see transformation. We would actually start to see something change. And there's, I had a whole list of, you know, things that I wanted to go into, but I'm just going to paraphrase them. The first, have you seen the 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 video? It went around a lot of businesses, but they filmed it in Seattle, and it was called Fish. And they went to the Fiat Seattle Fish Market, and they tried to see why are they so successful. If you haven't, it's it's a funny video. It's made in the 90s, so it's it's got some cheese factor in there as well. But What I love about it is they have these four principles, and one of the principles is to be present. Be present. And so if I could encourage you with anything, I only do what I see the Father doing and being present. Those two things would absolutely change the way that we start to interact with one another. I even think, you know, like we have times of disengagement. One of the things that was on my heart for this morning is to say, man... When you go home, and it's kind of like rest time now, so it's like, kids, go play, go do something. But I'm thinking, that's your one on one time with your kids. That's when we should be. I'm not saying we shouldn't rest, rest is so important. But what I am saying is, if we value the power of one, then we're not looking to bring our A game when we think this is a specific time, but that if I have one on one time, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to hear what the Father's saying with this one individual and pour into them. What do you know our first core value, which are just a set of things that that are biblical concepts that we're just saying, man, we want to try and try and get behind some of those in general. But in our family, we highly value people. So can I encourage you this morning? If only one person turns up to your home group, you should have the most powerful time a home group that you've ever had. If only one person comes on Sunday morning, which I mean, it would be a little bit sad at first. But it doesn't mean either here nor there because the power of one person is so valuable. He that died for the one, and this is the, the heart of the Father. Jesus went after the one when there was the 99. I think sometimes in Christian circles, we're kind of about the masses and we're about the numbers. And we're like, well, if we have this many people, then this is significant because of this. But I'm saying if you have one person, that's significant because of the value that every single one person holds. Amen. I just and I was going to just touch on very quickly, but Zacchaeus, right? Jesus is going through the masses. People are touching his robe and they're getting healed and they're doing these things. But Zacchaeus, I see you in the tree. I want to go to your house. He's not worried about the mass, you know, healing revival he's having out on the streets. He says, I want to go to your house. And then what about with his disciples? How intimate and how specific he was. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Out of all of the things that Jesus could have spent his time doing, the thing that he did the most was to pour into 12 guys. Can I encourage you that the people that you currently talk to have such value? Be present with them. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you, and then you're going to revolutionize their lives. So it actually, we, we have this shift of saying, well, we shouldn't be worried about what people are saying, and I think Christians have stopped there. Like, I'm, I'm not of the world, you know, like, that's me over here and you over there. My suggestion is that we should be in the middle of them, and we're the ones that I hope we could influence and encourage and bless and heal and set free because we're doing what the Father is calling us to do. But it, I think it centers in, in this concept of an audience of one. We talked about last week, passion passion for the matter that God has placed in your heart. And I hope you've been wrestling with, Hey God, what is the thing that you've called me to do? Where do you want me to do it? But I'm going to be closing really soon here and just saying that if you can't enact your passion with one, then my guess is that you won't be able to enact it with the masses. So if, if whatever God has placed on your heart, you can't do with an audience of one. My suggestion is that when the masses come, God, what does God say? If you're faithful with the little, I'm going to bless you with much. It's understanding the value of one and understanding your value, understanding that you can change the world and that somebody else can change the world of another person. And if we in the church were a lot more worried about the individuals that we come into contact with rather than this large theme of Jesus, I have such well wishing for everybody out there, but I'm going to go home. I need to rest. We need to be pouring into our children. We need to be pouring into our spouses. We need to be pouring into our home group. Um, I just wanted to share this story and then I'll close out. Um, I had a one-on-one time with, um, one of my home group. I led a home group of college, university age guys. And, um, he recently sent me a, an email text kind of encouraging me in this. But oftentimes we we had only a small group, but some of the guys wouldn't come. But I love the time when I only got a hold of one of them, because that was the time where you can do the most when it's just one other person that you can get the deepest that you can go for it. And his sister was at the point of death and I'm not going to go into the the, uh, the drug abuse and things that were going on. But the doctor said, hey, you're at death's door right now. And he was, was really discouraged. And he told me this. He said, Jesse, in the one-on-one time when you and I were praying, it shifted me into a place of encouragement where I held on to the promise that God had told me that my sister would not die until she had given her heart to you. And currently his sister is doing really, really well. But that to me was just... Man, it just came and spoke to me. And another one that happened this weekend when we were at conference, I was spending time with a friend of mine in Auckland, and we were just talking about the things of God. And afterwards, when he was dropping off at the airport, he said, Jesse, I haven't seen anybody speak boldly about the things of God in public before. He said, it really encouraged me to be bold and just be who God has called me to be in that. These things were like super not that hard for me. And it was just, and and it wasn't even yay, Jesse. It wasn't even that impressive. But what it was doing is valuing the power of one and valuing the audience of one. When you have an audience of one here and you're not worried about trying to please anybody else. Imagine if I had been like, oh, I don't really want to talk about this because of what the waitress might think of me. So I'm just going to hold back. I lost an opportunity to encourage and to uplift somebody that's in a hard season of their life. I hope I hope you're encouraged by this and and just what this is. But when we embrace our role as an audience of one, we capture his heart and his heart is for people. I think I literally think Jesus would have died if there would have been one of us. And he did. He died for just you and he died for just you and he died for just me. Can we put the same amount of value on others that he has placed on us? That we can be present with people. That we can be valuing of people to a a new level. But really it comes from once we're captured by the attention, once we're an audience of one to him, we start to, as we're paying attention to him, we start to get this heart for people and valuing people and loving people. And so when there's just one, it's worth pouring everything into it. He chooses you and I to co-labor with him to bring these things about. Can we value what the Father values? In our family, we're people that value people. Amen? I I know we're late, so I'm just going to pray for you and we'll release. But I, I hope you're encouraged and blessed this morning. And I pray that we can go out and we can start revolutionizing those folks' worlds as we're listening to what the Father is telling us to do. We're not worried about the applause of man, but the glory of God. Amen? Father, we just... Oh, we, we, we started with just spending some time in your presence. Lord, we don't want to leave your presence. We don't want this to be the time when we actually stop engaging as a captive audience of you. Father, I pray that we would have a supernatural awareness that you are with us no matter where we go. And that it's not a punishment thing that you're asking for us, but it's that you're wanting to bless other people through us. Father, I pray that there would be an increase in our ability to value others. I pray that we'd be a people that is present with one another. I pray that we would only do what we see you doing. Father, I thank you so much that you're so gracious to us. I thank you that you would die for just me. Lord, and I thank you that you would die for just each and every one of us. But Father, bring the realization down into our hearts. Don't let us walk in front of you. Jesus, stir our hearts that you who did most for us. We don't step away from you for the fear of man, but Lord, I pray that we don't reject those people, but that we embrace them and we start blessing them and we start being what you have called us to be. Jesus, we ask and we're so grateful that you're doing something in this place. You're doing something in the church of New Zealand and it starts with one person at a time. Jesus, use us as a people that can mightily impact this city and this nation, Father. But let us do it with the value of one. Lord, we're just submitting to you to say we want to be an audience of one. Father, I pray that you would bless your people. I pray that you would protect your people this week. I pray that you would send them out with your joy, your love, and your peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, all of God's people said... Amen. So enjoy your cafe. I'm sure there's good food and stuff. So bless you heaps this week, guys.